A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan... Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. AdWanted UK is the provider of single source media data for agencies, media owners, brands and academic institutions. And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the media leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader, 
from AdWanted UK. Earlier this year, the BC government released a video. Here's what you see. A man walks into a casino. He casually walks towards the cash cage holding two plastic bags. He hands them to an attendant who takes out bundles of $20 bills roughly tied together. It's around $100,000 in cash. He goes back out, comes back with another bag full of another $100,000. He comes back, this time with a red shopping bag. Same bundles of cash, but now it's $350,000 more. And he does this whole routine one more time. Two bags stuffed full of almost $500,000. All told, that's over a million dollars in cash for one man in one night. No one asked where the money had come from or how he'd got it. It's more money than most people will see in their lives, but in Vancouver's casinos, this was almost every day. You know, I I don't know uh, why it was that people were able to bring in half a million dollars in $20 bills, that a report was filled out and then nothing happened. Literally nothing happened, except that that person became a VIP at at a BC casino. Vancouver is going through a reckoning. After years and years of skyrocketing housing prices, there's a feeling that things have finally hit a breaking point. Rents keep going up, dingy bungalows are selling for millions, and homelessness just isn't abating. For people who don't already own a home, the city is becoming unlivable. And even more frightening, fentanyl is killing people in Vancouver at a rate higher than anywhere else in the country. Hundreds upon hundreds of people have died from overdoses, and there's no end in sight. In the midst of all this, earlier this year, BC's new NDP government put out a report that shook the province to its core. For years, BC casinos were being used as giant laundromats to clean up dirty money. And there's every indication that the previous government knew and allowed it to happen. The situation has gotten so bad that foreign intelligence agencies were warning their governments about the quote-unquote Vancouver model of money laundering. In short, the city's name is now synonymous with crime. But how did we get here? And what do these three things, housing, fentanyl, and money laundering, have to do with each other? As it turns out, quite a bit. I'm Archie Mann. From Canada Land, this is Commons. I was shown video and photographs of individuals wheeling large suitcases packed with $20 bills, others bringing stacks of cash to casino cages. That's David Eby, who became BC's Attorney General last year, testifying at the Federal Finance Committee. He says that in his initial meeting with casino regulators after he took over the job, the first thing one of them told him was, quote, I think we are about to blow your mind. Uh, And Mr. Chair, I I can advise uh, my mind was indeed blown. I was astounded by the audacity of those involved. Uh, On a purely practical matter, $800,000 in 20s is very heavy. It looked like they were helping somebody move a box of books. 
Um, but I was equally astounded that this activity had been taking place in British Columbia without an effective criminal, legal, regulatory, or policy response for almost a decade. Eby says there were no related criminal charges or tax prosecutions related to what was happening in casinos at the time. To understand how the city got here, we have to take a trip back to 1986. In 1986, during its centennial year, people from around the globe gather in Vancouver to celebrate the triumphs of human achievement and to have the time of their life at North America's last World Fair of the century, Expo 86. The 1986 Vancouver Expo, the city's introduction to the world stage. Before the Expo, Vancouver had a reputation as a sleepy ocean town far removed from Canada's centers of power. But Expo gave Vancouver a new stadium, the first SkyTrain, and a place in the international spotlight. And the cash started to pour in. Vancouver became a prime destination for people looking to spend their money from around the world. Tourists and investors both came in droves. And in 1997, when Hong Kong was being transferred from British rule back to mainland China, a number of nervous Hong Kongers moved to the city, bringing with them some of their assets. They became an essential part of the fabric of BC, but an unintended consequence was that the wealth that some of them brought with them was giving the municipal and provincial governments a taste for easy money. And when the BC Liberals came to power in 2001, they were more than happy to keep the ride going. They made it easier for secretive shell companies to purchase property, and in 2004, the River Rock Casino opened in Richmond. Welcome to River Rock Casino Resort. Now you're living. Sitting just at the mouth of the Fraser River and a 10-minute drive from the airport, River Rock is the crown jewel of BC's gaming industry. It's also where much of the impending controversy would be centered. Two years ago, the RCMP came across a car driving erratically in a casino parking lot in a small city outside of Vancouver. Inside was a landscaper from Interior, B.C., and as the cops went to confront him, they noticed that he had almost $4,000 cash in his hands. But that wasn't all. As police searched him and his car, this is what they found. A $13,000 check from a different casino, two more casino checks worth $16,000, a roll of $120 bills bundled together, $24,000 in cash under the stereo amp, a few large rocks crack, around 70 pills, and illegal radar detection equipment. In fact, as police would soon learn, this landscaper had been paid over $2 million by BC casinos in just one year. He denied that he did anything illegal and said that he was just lucky. But he did end up handing some of the money over to authorities in a negotiated settlement. Uh, if he just made it into the doors of the casino, he wouldn't have had the money seized as proceeds of crime. He would have been treated as a VIP. That's David Eby again. When that landscaper was arrested, Eby was sitting in the opposition benches, hounding the B.C. Liberal government about what was going on with the casinos. But nothing seemed to be getting done. It's 
painfully apparent to me that uh, someone could fill out an anti-money laundering form and say, you know, the guy rolled in wearing a Harley Davidson motorcycle, wearing a Hells Angels motorcycle jacket, uh, dropped $100,000 on the counter. Here's his name. Here's his address. Here's his ID. And they could send it off to FinTrack. And, and to be blunt, I have absolutely no confidence that anything would come of that. FinTrack is the federal agency that's supposed to track money laundering. After the last election, EB hired Peter German, a retired RCMP officer, to write a report looking into what was happening in the casinos. It was called Dirty Money, and when it came out this summer, it shook the entire province. Thanks to Dr. German's work, I can say now with absolute certainty that uh, money laundering, criminal money laundering, is taking place in BC's casinos, and it has to stop. Uh, It's a serious crime. For years, money of dubious origins was pouring into BC casinos. In essence, Vancouver's casinos had become giant laundromats for dirty money. It totaled over $100 million. For two decades, the government had been warned repeatedly by whistleblowers, by journalists, and even by law enforcement that something was wrong. In 2006, the Integrated Gambling Enforcement Team, they're essentially the casino watchdogs, warned the government that the province's casinos were vulnerable to money laundering. And three years later, they asked for more resources to stop it. But the minister who oversaw the file, Rich Coleman, disbanded the unit. The head of that enforcement unit was a veteran police officer named Fred Pinnock. And after the unit was shut down, he went to the press and aired his concerns that BC wasn't doing enough to stop high-level money laundering in casinos. But Coleman said everything was fine. Coleman declined to talk to us, but here he is in 2009 being asked by reporter Sean Holman about Pinnock's complaints. Coleman pushed back. I totally disagree with him, actually. In every casino in BC, we have the highest of security, both visual and people on site. If you ever go into a casino, you'll find that we spend millions of dollars on all kinds of cameras and monitoring and stuff like that. We have people on site working 24-7. We also have a very, very sophisticated team of people that do the investigations on gaming in BC that actually integrate with police. So I just disagree with what his assessment is. Um, The one team that he was on. But alongside being in charge of gaming enforcement, Coleman also oversaw the revenues coming in from casinos. When asked if that was a conflict, he denied it. No, I don't think so. I think it's, uh, in actual fact, the two go pretty well together because of enforcement brand, the policy and enforcement side actually determines what equipment the corporation can use, and so there has to be a relationship between the ministry and them. The Crown operates its business based on a business plan that they present to the legislature every year. They do so without interference on what they do, and, uh, and I think that we've actually had a pretty good model. No conflicts ever been determined. There's been no difficulties, and, uh, are, you know, from the standpoint of what may have happened. Of course, things in BC casinos actually got much worse after 2009. And when the German report dropped this year, Coleman passed the buck, claiming he was following the lead of law enforcement. But Fred Pinnock isn't willing to let that go. We reach out to Pinnock, but because he's working with the Attorney General, he couldn't really talk to us right now. But he did speak with Global News' John Hua earlier this year. They all knew what was going on in those casinos and racetracks, primarily casinos, and particularly the big ones. Um, It was the Wild West in the large casinos where organized criminal activity was running amok. It was no secret to government at all. And why doesn't he think the government did anything about it? I think we all know why. Uh, Any interruption 
in the uh, flow of dirty money into casinos would not be in the best interests of the BC Liberals. Corruption can come in many forms. It's not always the greasy little man handing out envelopes full of cash. It can, it can also come in the form of a government looking the other way when dirty money is uh, filling its coffers. David Eby is still astounded about how little the previous government did. It was unfathomable to me that someone could know that this was happening in BC casinos and not act, regardless of sort of your political interest in having a, a quick win or having a, uh, whatever the explanation, just to not act in the face of such overwhelming evidence really remains inexplicable to me. All of that money, that $100 million that went into casinos, it's actually kind of small potatoes. This was the fun money, right? This was the money that went into the casino for entertainment. Um, What does the business money look like? How much money um, and where did it come from? So where is that business money? Average price of a home in Canada keeps on climbing. From last week to this week, they've gone up hundred thousand. Next week, probably a hundred thousand. How is anyone ever going to be able to own a home in our community? The Vancouver area. The twin crises of housing and fentanyl that are racking Vancouver haven't abated. We still don't have all of the facts, but there are indications that the dirty casino money is tied to both of these crises. John Langdon, an Australian researcher has come up with a name that describes this whole sordid system. The Vancouver model. The Vancouver model is essentially a way to solve two problems for two sets of people at the same time. On one side, you have high-rolling gamblers in mainland China. They want to go play with big stakes in cities like Vancouver. But China won't let them take very much currency out of the country. And then in Vancouver, you have gangs who have a lot of drug money, but no way to make it clean. Those two groups essentially make a deal. The gamblers will fly to Vancouver and take the drug money from the gangs, usually in bundles of $20 bills. And they'll then transfer the same amount of cash to a bank account in China tied to the gangs. The gambler takes the money into the casino, signs whatever forms he needs to, and gambles his heart away. And then they walk out of the casino with clean money. But it gets even more nefarious. That money that's been wired to China is used by criminal networks to make the precursors of fentanyl that are eventually shipped to places like Vancouver. And that newly cleaned money is often invested right back into Vancouver real estate through shell companies and with the help of bankers, lawyers, and accountants. And the connections to real estate go even deeper. Well, there's definitely a connection between the activity that was happening in the casinos and the real estate market. We know this because when people walked this cash into the casinos uh, and they were asked to fill out what their occupations were, the vast majority of the people who were walking in this bulk cash, bulk cash is the term that was used to describe this activity. I'd never heard that term before, but anyway, uh, the people who were walking in this shopping bag full of cash, uh, they would list their occupation uh, predominantly as real estate related, uh, developer, real estate investor, this kind of stuff. This is only one route that dirty money can make its way into Vancouver's real estate market. But the truth is, no one knows how much dirty money is sitting in luxury condos and mansions in Vancouver. But David Eby wants to find out. 
the government has commissioned another report, this time looking at the extent of money laundering in real estate, luxury cars, and in horse racing. What's already clear is that there aren't enough protections in place to keep dirty money out of real estate. And so I have no confidence in terms of the real estate market, FinTrack reporting, uh, other vulnerable sectors, FinTrack reporting, that the reports that are filed actually result in something happening. And I hope someday to to say that I, I feel like things are happening, but we're not there yet. But the B.C. government itself can only do so much. We have federal agencies that are supposed to stop money laundering in its tracks. And on this, it looks like they failed. Canada's anti-money laundering regime, as far as I can tell, based on this casino review, is basically a facade. And, and what it is, is an opportunity for people to say, look, all the forms were filled out, we made all the reports, we followed all the rules. Uh, and if people were laundering money, uh, you know, we, we were following all the federal regulations. But when these forms are filled out for FinTrack, the federal anti-money laundering agency, uh, it seemed to me uh, that they basically went into a black hole, that uh, there was no follow-up uh, or incredibly limited follow-up by police agencies, that there were limited resources, if any resources, dedicated to financial crime, money laundering, uh, and the profitable end of organized crime. The resources were dedicated very much to street-level gang activity, shootings, violent crime, which I totally understand. But I can't understand why uh, it appeared that there was so, and it appears still, frankly, that there was so little interest in what people were fighting about in the streets uh, in terms of gang activity. They're fighting over the proceeds of crime. I'm from Vancouver. I moved away six years ago, and honestly, talking about these stories is usually pretty depressing. The problems feel so insurmountable, and it feels like nothing can really be done. But right now, I'm actually feeling optimistic. When I think about Vancouver these days, I think about all of those reporters that have brought some of these problems to light and are holding public institutions to account. It feels like every day, journalists like Kathy Tomlinson, or Sam Cooper, or Travis Lupic, Ian Young, Francis Beulah, there's really too many to name, are breaking stories that are having an actual impact. Even politicians at the municipal and provincial levels look like they're starting to address these issues. Some things do feel like they're getting worse. Gang violence continues, and racism, especially against the Chinese community, feels to me like it's on the rise. But when voters in Vancouver go to the polls this week, I think it could be an actual turning point. Vancouver has become an international model for how to launder money. Maybe it can be a model for how to turn things around. That's your episode of Commons for this week. I'm Archie Mann. This was the second episode in our series on corruption, so let us know what you think. You can tweet us at Candleland Commons, that's C-M-N-S. You can also email me at Archie at CanadaLandShow.com. This episode was produced by TK Matunda. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and our music is by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, go check out Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Help us out however you can. And if you like stories about power, money, and Canadian politics, you should absolutely subscribe to Kendallan's new podcast, Thunder Bay. 
There's a trailer up right now, and the first two episodes will drop next week. Thank you.